Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today we're talking about The Mummy, the 2017 Tom Cruise vehicle, and uh, it's been out for over a month now, so spoilers, uh, we will be discussing it at length with the ending and, of course, everything in mind. Tom Cruise, even when he's bad, Lloyd, is still pretty good, you know, he's like pizza. Uh, (laughs) um, But did you miss Brendan Fraser by the end of this? Oh well, to be honest, I wasn't. Uh, I was never a fan of the Mummy, both the 1933 and the 1999 version. Uh, I thought, like both the older versions of the films, like had really good villains. Uh, obviously, Boris Karloff, and then you got Arnold Vosloo of the Van Damme film Hard Target, if anyone can remember that. Um, and they both were these powerful sorcerers looking to cheat death and be reunited with their true love and so forth. So there is like a sense of a Shakespearean tragedy to their characters. Um, And I like the simplicity of the 33 version where like, you know, this man comes back from the dead, tries to bring back the woman he loves. Uh, The simplicity is just awesome. But I wanted to see more of the mummy as the mummy, you know what I mean? Not as this stiff old dude. And nothing gets Boris Karloff, but he's just you know, playing this older dude trying to bring back the woman of his dreams. And the 1999 version of The Mummy, while I think Brendan Fraser was awesome in it, uh, and I watched it again recently just for this podcast, I found the film to be so long and obnoxious, like too many goofy characters, too many action scenes, and I became so bored and numb watching the movie. I don't know if it's the case because I'm older, but... I wasn't a big fan of the original Mummy series at all when I when I was younger. Were you a big fan of them? Look, I liked the one that The Rock was in because The Rock was in it, Scorpion King. Yeah, that was like the first time he ventured into movies. Eh? Yeah, that was one of his very first things. But um, it was always sort of tongue-in-cheek comedic. I mean, Brendan Fraser was a real comedy actor. It felt like... Uh, not Indiana Jones, but um, like a fun family family adventure almost at times. But then there was these like villains that are chasing them in clearly too scary for kids type. Um, I don't know if the tone was right, I suppose. It's a mix of being like a family adventure and as well as kind of a, you know, scary horror stuff of nightmares, you know. You're right about the tongue in cheek, like um, er- almost every character except for the villain and um, Brendan Fraser are really goofy. They just aren't competent at anything they do, and it just becomes so exhausting. Like, does every character have to be this um, erratic and and stupid? And it it just really bored me down, and action scene after action scene, just uh, too many things at me. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but by the third, I think, uh, Mummy film, uh, they recast um, Rachel Weisz's character, they basically had a a joke for the audience in that. I think it was Maria Bello from memory. She'd written these stories about the first two films and had had become a published author by the third one. And then someone put their hand up when she did a a reading and said, did all of that really happen to you? 
or, or what? And then she it cuts to her and it's Maria Bello and no longer Rachel Weiss. And she says something like, I can honestly say it didn't happen to me, which, you know, it didn't because she's a different <laughs> actress. But they have a kid and like the kid is also a kind of a treasure hunter. And it really felt like it it tried to do too much by the end and didn't stick to a kind of a simpler formula. What happened to Brendan Fraser, man? Goodness, I don't know. He was so good in The Mummy. Like, watching it again, I'm like, oh, this character is awesome, you know. Um, he, he really does have that comedic, that wonderful balance of action and comedy. He did a bit part in Scrubs that I really liked back in the day um, as this character that Dr. Cox got to play across. But more recently, he was in the TV show The Affair, um, which I watched, and each season of The Affair, I think, gets a little bit worse, but it's still quite good. Uh, his character played... He was he was a prison guard. One of the characters, without any spoilers, one of the characters goes to prison. He pretty much torments them. Uh, he plays, like, this weird uh, line of being their friend and then their enemy. Um, yeah, without saying too much. Um, but he, he has some really intense scenes, and you... You know, you do wonder what the heck is going on with his character for most of the season. Uh, so he does a good job. He's still, he's still got it. You know, that was like last year. But he's just not starring in action movies anymore. No, and I think that's fine. You know, you do some independent films. You get your credibility kind of up there again. You have a Matthew McConaughey-type Matthew McConaughey um, reconnaissance. I don't know. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, renaissance. Um, <laughs> you... Um, you know, you, you get back in the public eye, I guess, and, and he's probably never gone away, but he just hasn't done anything that's really popped, I suppose. I'm surprised we haven't um, covered his movies in our Obscure Movie Month because it just seems <laughs> like he's disappeared into those obscure movies that we usually cover. Yeah, maybe we can find one. You know, we've covered a lot of Tom Cruise on this podcast, haven't we? And whether that's intentional or not, I don't know. We're both probably big fans of Tom Cruise and he picks very good movies. I always found that about Brad Pitt back in the day. People would say, who's your favourite actor? And it was tough to not say Brad Pitt because he kept picking movies like 12 Monkeys and Fight Club. And, and Seven. <laughs> yeah. And he picked these films that you go, God, that was so interesting. And women were obviously like, oh, Brad Pitt's a sexy guy and stuff. But the films he, were picking, he was picking rather uh, were for men, really. Um, they felt like he was connecting to a male something primal almost um audience and then he was super cool in the oceans 11 franchise and he did films like spy game you know and everything sort of he did i wanted to watch so for a long time kind of he was picking these great projects and tom cruise is the same except that he kind of financially backs the projects and he seems to develop them more than any other actor maybe you know we've done a lot in our back catalog people can search and find uh, how many tom cruise movies we've talked about but you know who we haven't talked about, Lloyd? The director of this, Alex Kurtzman, because he has almost no experience. Well, I was so excited to see that Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie had teamed up again to do another movie. And for me, those guys haven't even missed yet. Like, I loved the first Jack Reacher and I loved um, Mission Impossible 5. And I was so disappointed to see that McQuarrie wasn't directing um, this movie he was only a, a co-writer on board and instead it was directed by a really untested Alex Kurtzman and there are so many problems with the with the mummy like uh, it, it's it's just ridiculous I, I I don't think any of the characters are likable for starters and I didn't find that character uh, Jake Johnson um, who was in uh, 
um, the Jurassic, Jurassic World. World, was it? Yeah. He's I also found, from New Girl, the uh, Zoe Deschanel show. I found him so funny in Jurassic World and in this yeah. film it seems like him and Tom Cruise wanted to get along so well, but they're trying to get along. They don't. Yeah. They aren't really getting along as. Uh, it's as unnatural. Well. Yeah, it just <laughs> just seemed like unnatural that these two guys, oh, I don't know, like would be culprits, like uh, uh, trying to steal, you know, artifacts. It just didn't seem believable at all. And Annabelle Wallace. Um, I thought she was terrible, you know. Uh, nothing gets the actress, but the character. I just didn't see any chemistry between um the, uh, between her and Tom Cruise at all. She was just mm. like a pretty blonde girl there, you know, because they had to have a pretty blonde girl. She reminded me of um of Elsa Pataki, uh, Chris Hemsworth's wife. She had kind of the same look. Uh, you know, she's from the Fast and the Furious movies, which oh, we've talked yeah, about. Oh, yeah, 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 I see. Um, sort of the same look, like they've got a budget version of an actress that we like or know. Um, but you're completely right. Like, uh, Jake Johnson plays Nick in New Girl, and he's a comedic actor. And it probably would have been, like, a dream come true to get that call and say, hey, do you want to work with Tom Cruise? But it is so unnatural. And the premise that the two of them are, like, thieves and, you know, uh, archaeological grave robbers or something, uh, I wasn't sure for the beginning of the film, like, what is the deal? What are they doing? How can they call it an airstrike? Like, he's some kind of super cool Indiana Jones... Uh, they've got machine guns and this is like, we'll just do it like we always do. And it's like, this is not how we always do it. You know, like, what? Who are these people? I'm not <laughs> believing any of the backstory that you tried to imp- tried to imply in that scene at all. You know, I, w- I was like that right from the get go. And, and I was just like, I'm not sitting, I'm not sitting comfortable with these two characters. It doesn't seem like Tom Cruise as well. Maybe that's uh, uh, the first real major dent in uh, chink in um, Tom Cruise's arm is that he just isn't as versatile as you'd like because it doesn't seem like Tom Cruise would play a culprit like this, a scoundrel sort of thing. It, it seems more suitable for someone like maybe Harrison Ford. Yeah, I mean, maybe even just simple tweaks, like give him some facial hair, show him stealing some more things as, you know, um, he's walking around a market or something, you know, give him a bit more of like a... Uh, sticky fingers, you know, kind of vibe at the beginning. As well, a simple change. The female actress, you know, what was her name? Wallace, uh, Annabelle Wallace. We reviewed uh, Pan Am and she was in that. That's the only thing I knew her from. You could have had a simple change where she didn't ever want anything to do with him. She'd never sleep with him. She would never, um, you know, put herself in a situation where he could steal that note and those coordinates. So if you just change that one thing, then suddenly they have tension, like he wants to sleep with her, but she never will let him. And then you can have them kiss at some point when finally she's kind of warming to him. And then when she does die, you know, he does want to bring her back. There's more of a relationship because at the moment what you get is, oh, yeah, they slept together and he stole that note. Then they have no chemistry for the rest of the movie. When he, um, the the best scene of the movie is when the airplane crashes down and they're in zero gravity, so to speak. It felt like somebody said this on another podcast, but it felt like leftovers from a Mission Impossible um, <laughs> <laughs> script. 
uh, and funny enough, Chris McQuarrie did co-write the story. But when he does give it the parachute and he gets uh, to get it to safety, it just felt like something that he instinctively does as a soldier. It felt like any of those other soldiers would have done the same thing. And then at the very end of the movie, he's swimming to try to save her before she drowns. And I think that's probably the another cool scene of the movie where all the ghouls are descending upon him and he's trying to swim after her to save her life. That was really cool. But I didn't understand what the movie wanted us to think was was that he's swimming to save the love of his life. I never yeah. got that they were in love at all. It, no. ne- it never came across. It just seemed so situational that these two guys were pushed, these, this girl and this guy were pushed together in this situation. It didn't seem like he was there because he loved her at all. And it, it just, oh my gosh, I, I was like, did I miss something? Maybe there's a whole scene I missed. And, you know, and then, that whole thing where I feel the good in you and all that in- internal conflict, he's giving up his life for her. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> Did you guys foreshadow this or what? Like, uh, I think a huge fault goes to Alex Kurtzman. I just don't think he was the right director for this. And I think this film was a mess from the get-go. I completely agree. And I think they want to build this universe and oh, they started gosh, with the terrible universe. foundation. <laughs> A worse start than DC, mate. Oh, gosh. I'm a huge fan of the Universal Horror Monster movies of the 30s and 40s. i got to say right away, my favourite being Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and the creature from the Black Lagoon. And I've always loved Egyptian mythology and the idea of this ancient mummy coming back to life. I think it's so cool. By the way, my earliest memory of the mummy comes from a Goosebump book. (laughs) And I think the idea of doing a Universal Universal horror cinematic universe is an awesome one. The the big budgets and special effects, they can make, you know, something really cool here. The old Universal horror films worked more as horror movies, I think. Like the direction they need to go with these movies are more horror action films. And and these are terrible examples, but maybe something like Hellboy or From Dusk Till Dawn, you know, these Although they have horror elements and it's scary, but it is this big ass, you know, this big bad action sort of film. Because I feel the horror template that the original set up doesn't work when you're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars into it. Because the originals were more cerebral, slow paced, and especially atmospheric because they were horror movies. And you know, having these big sort of action films to draw in audiences. I don't think it, I don't know. I, I didn't see the, the the first Universal horror movie. I think this is now the first one of the Dark World, but they did do Dracula, um, mm. or like a, a him as Vlad the Impaler, and I think that one failed and this is like the reboot. It wouldn't surprise me if they'll have to reboot this again. Well, I mean, Marvel had it with, you know, they tried with Hulk and they tried with Incredible oh, that's, Hulk. that's a very and- good point. Yeah, you know that there are false starts, and I think this is very much a false start. Um, I think the way that they make this relevant is they keep Russell Crowe and they keep Jekyll and Hyde uh, as you know connective tissue, like the way Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury. Um, you know, whoever the next thing you know, if they do Frankenstein or whatever, you have Russell Crowe appear in it. Um, I don't think Tom Cruise should come back <laughs> until this is successful. Really, it's he's got to. Um, He's got to let this simmer, I think. You mentioned the stunt on the plane in Zero Gravity and stuff, and I heard Tom Cruise talking on a podcast about this, and he said uh, 
pretty much that he has like a bucket list of stunts and they he went to Universal, he talked to them about the mummy and then they started working on the script like he developed the idea with them and he would just like gave them some ideas of some stunts he'd always wanted to do and just kind of inserted them into the film and why not if you've got that kind of power you can say oh you know what i've always wanted to do uh, I've wanted to have a scene where I have sex with five women. Put that in this movie. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. But that, that, how how it begun, begun was pretty eerie. How his friend stabs that his commanding officer, and it's just yeah. it's shot in that like almost like a Scorsese shot, a simple two shot, and he just stabs the the commander. And I thought that was very eerie. And there were some horror elements to this film. Like I love the design of the ghouls. I thought they were all. Really really cool um and it's interesting it's like going to the laws of return of the living dead like every part of the ghouls is alive makes them very difficult to kill and uh yeah I i don't know like if that's the right way to go about it if you want to bring in kids into this universe because it, it is a bit too scary for kids especially with how much the mummy sucks the life out of um a, lo- a lot of the um victims yeah that's true i mean but the you same said token, the same thing with the 1999 version as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I fully think the there's scenes where they're on a bus and these creatures are just chasing them down and they're shooting shotguns, you know, Brendan Fraser's shooting shotguns. Um, and all of that seems to, far too frightening to show to my kids, you know? Like, this is not, <laughs> not going to get a young audience, certainly. And, I mean, even just Tom Cruise's face at the end of the movie, did you like the design when he has the powers and he's got all those teeth? Yeah, and especially the the four eyes, like the eyes mm. double up. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I really think this film would have benefited from like having showing us less. You mentioned the underwater scene, and that's like ten minutes from the end, fifteen minutes from the end. That's in the trailer. Oh, what? Yeah, there's so much in the trailer. The scene where the plane crashes and he sits up, you know, in the um in the morgue. There's too much. You're giving away so much. I was waiting for some of these beats. I really like the um the design of the four eyes. And I think maybe they could have done a real minimalist teaser trailer thing because after the teaser trailer, I was interested in The Mummy. Yeah, I, I thought The Mummy design itself, um, played by Sophia Batella uh, as Aminet, I thought she was an awesome-looking mummy. And this, I think one of my favourite scenes of the movies when they actually have her tied up in the prodigium (laughs) um yes yeah they they have her tied up and they're injecting mercury into her and there was some really awesome banter between her and annabelle um wallace where she's asking her about the other side and she's saying oh don't worry you'll find out when i kill you i i just love that sort of banter and um yeah i thought the design of her was really really interesting and i'm always a big fan of the villain to me the villain has to be super strong and has to be really handled really delicately and effectively to make the drama and she was really cool she was probably the best character in the movie and i like the idea of um, russell crowe as dr hyde and he's slipping into dr hyde you know sort of thing i i just thought the it felt like the plot of this movie was taking a backseat in order to build the universe, and they're going about it the wrong way. Like uh, in the original, in, in the Marvel movies, it just seemed like Nick Fury would come in at the end, or it'd be like an after-credit scenes to build the next movie. It didn't seem like Shield interrupted the plot too much. No, yeah. not until they were part of the plot. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. Like work on getting a good solid movie. And then just have the the tease of uh, of other characters 
in the background, maybe. But yeah. in saying that, though, I did like the idea of the prodigium and I did like Russell Crowe's character. So I don't know. Maybe my complaints are the pacing of this film and the placement of scenes. It just you know dragged on way too much for me and it was so incoherent. And, of course, the number one flaw is the characters. <laughs> Do you know what I found frustrating about this movie, Lloyd, is the fact that there would be a page of script and it would say this. Who are you? Where are you taking me? What's happening? Who are you? And Golly. all these questions <laughs> that you just read that and go, well, why does he need to ask a hundred questions? The audience already knows. Just say it once. And to introduce Nick, uh, not Nick, sorry, Jake Johnson. He's Nick in New Girl. Jake Johnson as a ghost. Oh, that was the he's, worst. It was straight out of an American wealth in London. Yeah, and horrible. he's the exposition ghost, man. Oh, you know what's happening. You're cursed. You're in the women's bathroom. You know what it means. She's got plans for you. It's like, okay, thanks for hitting us over the head with it. Yeah, oh my God. If a character's not asking a question, a character's explaining the plot of the movie. You, you could just and feel happening. that boardroom, you know, with, with the big meeting with all the executives going, oh, the audience won't pick it up. You need to have this and this. We've tested, um, you know, we focus grouped all this and workshopped all that. So you got to interject into the script and it just becomes so bloated out and the film mm. really suffers from it. And there's so many fantasy sequences. Oh, the mind games? That that, that yeah. was the biggest issue with the film. It became so exhaustive, the mind games element of the film. Jake is haunted by images of the past and his friend Chris, you know, coming back as the ghost. Uh, oh, gosh. And all, all the mind game stuff actually harkens back to the original 1933 version, which I think is the weakest part of the original film. A big problem for the film is that it wants to launch this cinematic unit Universe. It wants to kickstart the mythology now and it sacrifices its own storyline and it became so exhausting watching, you know, Nick, or sorry, Tom Cruise acting like he's looking confused and then you're like, okay, there's going to be a flashback sequence, isn't there? You know, and there is a flashback sequence. I do like that moment though where he's driving in the van and then um, he, he drives back. And he drives back. I think that's how the mind game should have been played. Like she's yeah, in, in, subtle. Yeah, subtle. And she's coming into his subconscious. Yep. Yeah, rather than Agreed. This, yeah, rather than this whole oh my gosh, the whole mythology and everything like that. Just oh, we know <laughs> you showed a whole backstory of this scene at the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I always find it frustrating. We it's a pet peeve of our podcast, but when somebody starts in one language and then flips to English because it's easier on the audience, the, the whole sequence you liked where she's chained up and speaking to. Um, Annabelle Wallace's character, she starts in an ancient language, like out of respect, speaking to this female mummy, and then she flips it to English because the audience needs that. Yeah. Don't worry, I can learn all your languages uh, really fast at the convenience of the plot. <laughs> oh, well, she can read hieroglyphics really well. Jenny, is it? Yeah. Or Jennifer, I don't know. Um, and she can read hieroglyphics. She has no problem. Uh, she has developed this theory that an Egyptian princess had been erased from the history books intentionally, which is a crazy theory. <laughs> like, for that to... Yeah. Anyway, but when she says um, hieroglyphics to him, he says, I don't have time for your archaeological jargon. <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, well, that's a pretty common term. I mean, hieroglyphics are, like, the most one of the most well-known things about <laughs> Egyptians and, you know, uh, this whole mummy culture, if you will. Uh, but just... Some of the dialogue here I just was cringing through. 
And I was like, well, it's lucky he's having these visions so he can move from scene to scene, you know, otherwise this might be directionless. <laughs> well, and what's the deal with him at the very end? He's pretty much death now. He's this ultimate super um, hero or super villain. I guess he can go both ways. And he's charging against ISIS. So it's Tom Cruise going to save the world, I guess. There is a cool idea where it does have the idea of these rebels or ISIS-like um, soldiers that are defiguring the um, remnants of the ancient world. And I like that idea. Oh, cool, they're putting some modern current events into this movie and let's see how this um, universal horror universe or dark world deals with that. But, you know, it seems to make us... By teasing us, it seems to make us want to see this adventure of Tom Cruise's character. I couldn't wait for the credits to roll (laughs) and to get out of the movie theatre. I just thought the whole storyline of... of this ultimate god that's now Tom Cruise, you know, roaming around the deserts of the ancient world to, you know, getting into adventures. I just thought it was such a stupid idea. And he brings back one of the most irritating characters I've seen in a long time as his sidekick. And he's still got the same jokes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, for him to be like, hey, thanks for bringing me back to life and everything, but what are we doing here? <laughs> I found this very frustrating that he has very vague powers and that they now have like an ace in the hole that they can just bring anybody back to life. If they kill off any character, they can bring them back to life. No big deal. (laughs) And he just screamed at her face until she was alive again, which I found annoying. This is the same terrible writer, Alex Kurtzman, who wrote Star Trek Into Darkness with the um, super blood and now anyone can come back to life. You remember Uh, at the end of that? Yeah, so he has something... He, he loves getting out of any plot holes that could d- dissolve a franchise. He always has his parachutes to pull. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you a question. He's seeking redemption at the end of the film, and he has only beca- begun to discover his power. You know, he's a living god, whatever. He will search the world for a cure, is one of the lines Russell Crowe says. So if he finds a cure, is he going to die? Yeah, that's a good point, because he's, technically he's already dead, but he's the incarnation of death. Or of Satan, rather. Because he seems better off for being where he is now. Like, he would have died in the plane crash. So everything now is borrowed time. So now that he's got godlike powers, just live with the evil, like the way Dr. Jekyll does, you know? (laughs) Sometimes it does take a monster to fight a monster was a fine final line. I'm happy enough with that. I guess what I wanted from this movie, in retrospect, is that halfway through the movie, he becomes the character he is at the end of the movie. And then the rest is him finding out his powers and, you know, becoming their ally or not by the end of the film. I guess he is the mummy. Like when they say they're building the Universal Horror Monster movie series, you got, I think Johnny Depp is slated to be the Invisible Man. Obviously, Russell Crowe is Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde. And um, I guess Tom Cruise is now the mummy. Is that right? Or is he some new horror? Well, he's set, I guess. He's like the god of death. Okay. He's not the mummy. Yeah, right. He's, yeah, I guess he's kind of death incarnate. So the mummy is still Arminette, who effectively is destroyed at the end of the movie. I would think so. Yeah. I would think the next film wouldn't be called Mummy 2. I would think he's not a mummy until he's mummified or, you know, entombed. At the moment, he's just like, they mentioned him as another name as Satan. But so would you be like, surprised if he was the mummy now? Well, what they ought to do is have another character, like the way Spider-Man has Iron Man in his film. They need to have another character, like the Invisible Man, and feature 
Dr. Jekyll or this character of Set, you know, in that movie. They don't need to have another origin movie for Tom Cruise's character. He exists now in their dark universe. I, I think, do you think they're going to go through with uh, sequels to this or is it going to be like Golden Compass? They're just going to abandon and reboot it. I think it's going to be like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> what a, that was a terrible movie as well. Yeah, like a one-time thing. But then if they try something else, that's a standalone project and that it won't work. I don't see this working. It just was too frustrating. It was too mediocre. It was not the strong start they needed. Yeah, it's so disappointing because Tom Cruise, for me, went through a period where he was just unleashing hit after hit well especially with edge of tomorrow onwards um it was just a run of really good awesome action movies and he was becoming like my favorite action star but jack reacher too now this film and i i hope the the next movie he's doing with uh chris mcquarrie comes out good i think that's just simply another sequel to mission impossible you know, I hope I hope that comes out great. Mission Impossible Six, but you know, and and he's doing a sequel to Top Gun as well. So I I have high That's hopes true. for him, but um, just these last run of last two movies are pretty bad. You know, I watched Rogue Nation last week. Really liked it. <laughs> Mission Impossible Five. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it was really good, and um, I I loved the fact that it started with the big stunt from the trailer, and I was like, oh, they're building from here. I thought. For sure, that would be halfway through the film. Yeah. Um, but to open with the whole hanging off the side of a plane stunt, I thought was genius. Yeah, I thought that was a great, great action movie, especially all the motorbike scenes. That was fantastic. Yep. And the com- comedy element as well. I was laughing at almost everything. <laughs> Do you know what the best comedic moment of The Mummy was? Uh, for me, the one moment that sort of worked, you know, he gets her in the parachute and he's very selfless and he saves the cat, you know, like the book. That's his save the cat moment where he rescues her and we go, oh, he's a good guy. And then she says to him later, you gave me the only parachute. And he says, I thought there was another one. (laughs) For me, that was the best line of the film and uh, the only comedic moment that really landed for me. Yeah, I I saw this movie very late, obviously, from when it came out, so I didn't have a big audience in my crowd, but they were very silent the whole way through. I think, honestly, I became bored as it went along and some of that was my ability to remember the trailer a bit too well and I was just looking for these moments and I was going oh they're swimming in the water so these things are going to swim at him and you know I uh I was frustrated with this 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 wasn't what it should have been like Tom Cruise is one of those few action stars that is willing to take a lot of damage on screen for the sake of the character and his final confrontation with Aminat and she's just throwing him around this tomb and he takes damage after damage and keeps coming back and that harkens back to that really awesome scene in The Last Samurai where he's captured by the samurai um, warriors in Japan and he's trying to spar with them with a wooden wooden bamboo sword and he doesn't stand a chance because that's not, you know, he's he's an American-trained soldier. That's not the weapons he's accustomed to. But he keeps getting back up and that um, sparks interest in the Japanese um, samurais to train him is that this guy has so much heart and courage he'll take such a huge beating and just keep coming back and coming back. And we get a sense of that in the uh, climactic scene here. I don't quite understand why, what the motivations were. Why did he keep resisting Aminat? Was it just for vengeance for killing Annabelle Wallace? Um, I mean, I guess he was just standing up to evil. Yeah. Maybe in a very basic way. Because she kept saying, stop resisting and give in. Yes. Yeah. 
and that was uh, that was to foreshadow that he was able to resist Seth coming in. Like the moment Seth entered his body, he was able to resist him as much as possible. Set, yeah. Set, sorry. Yeah, Seth is not. Um, well, Seth is the character um, Nicolas Cage plays in City of Angels. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like to think of Seth and Seth Rogen. This was frustrating, absolutely. <laughs> couldn't um, I couldn't bring myself to enjoy this, like I really wished I could have. And I really, I think that the worst part for me, you know, the third act should really leave you wanting a sequel and wanting to see more of these characters and loving the film. She says to him, oh, you know, she was always doomed, she drowned. And I I was thinking, you know, she wasn't really all that to Nick. The same, the relationship was brief. They weren't really involved. There's no physical affection on screen. And when he says the line, I'm sorry, but we're never going to happen. It's not me, it's you. That wasn't anything. It was not a strong set of dialogue. And then she says to him, thief, like, as if it's what he has always been. Like, really, he's demonstrated very little thieving. Just the one thing off screen that he stole her letter and coordinates or whatever. It wasn't a running theme in the film, and it really could have been. Absolutely could have been. He could have been nicking stuff all over the place. He could have been... (laughs) It wasn't his strong characteristics. Anyway, I just think it was uneven and... um, could have used a rewrite and definitely I feel like give him the powers but keep the mummy the female mummy alive even um, and have them face off in the final act as he's kind of discovering this power that he's been given wasn't that scene where she summons all the sands of Egypt and I guess glass is made out of sand or something and all the glass bursts into sand Um, didn't that scene seem so forced like it just like oh this is the third act it's got to be really huge. Yeah, I, I didn't... well the sandstorm earlier was I guess foreshadowing for that. Yeah, but... I just anyway. I just didn't think it needed it was necessary. I really like how the Prodigium team is trying to make their last holdout in that tomb. They know the mummy is coming and they they seal the tomb and they try to make a last stand, but it, it has no effect. They, they don't really stand a chance because she's able to animate and reanimate the dead you you know it should have just been that size like keep it really small like this small team trying to hold out in the tunnels rather than this overlong stupid we got to survive all the sandstorms in london like it looked really cool but at the same time it felt very forced and it felt like they were trying to squeeze in what you remembered from the original mummy trilogy into the new mummy yeah, um, well, I've given my thoughts. I don't think this is going to work. But tell me, um, you know, Russell Crowe's probably under contract to reappear or at least be offered this again, same as Tom Cruise. It'd be an expensive bunch of contracts to hold on to, but do you think they're going to return? Will we see the two of them on screen again? Will we see this dark universe work? I, What's your opinion? I think, like, just we, we thought Terminator Genesis was a, was a complete failure, then it blew up in... China and it became a big hit I guess but they ended up abandoning that project they're not going to do a two and a three because it was received so poorly in the western world and I think the same case with World of Warcraft although World of Warcraft failed in the western world it did so well in China that there are talks of doing a sequel I don't think that's going to go ahead and I feel just like with how you what you think is going to happen with the, this um, dark universe they got a great set of characters here this was a wrong 
start. This is such a poor setup that they need to reboot it and go in a completely different direction. And I, I think that's absolutely what they're going to do. Um, credit to um, DC with, um, you know, Man of Steel wasn't that bad at all. And, you know, Suicide Squad was arguably arguably bad, but Batman for Superman. But the, they're still sticking to their guns with the DC world. But all their films have been enormously successful despite the um, the the criticism have been completely divided. Mm. So I think that's why that series keeps working. This film is so universally panned, I just don't see them going ahead with making a whole franchise, a whole series out of what we've seen here. And it, no. I, I just feel like I'm universed out by the end of it. I, I didn't care for the world that they were building. It didn't seem attractive to me at all. It really felt like this the, this universe was designed by a team in a boardroom trying to work out the most profitable strategy. What if at the end he had stabbed the dagger into her and she had gotten all the powers of the set and the mummy? And, the, the, you know, and then they would have had a big Jenny. showdown or something. Oh, into the... All right, yeah. Well, she was just such a forgettable character. I don't think we would have cared. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> also, I've been thinking about the Invisible Man, if Johnny Depp plays that. I mean, at some point he becomes invisible and then he's not on screen anymore. <laughs> it's it's what he did in Transcendence. Like, he becomes a computer program and it's just a voiceover. Like, it would be such cheap work for him. It's like Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. It's... You're there for the first 15 minutes and then you just do voiceover later, like ADR work. The original Invisible Man was excellent. Like this guy develops this ability to become invisible, but it's destroying his mind. He's becoming mad. And I would love to see Johnny Depp play, (laughs) I was going to say play a mad role, but he has played the Mad Hatter in the awful (laughs) Tim Burton movie, um, Alice in Wonderland. So... You know, it'll probably just be like that. <laughs> I don't know why you don't cast an unknown. If, you, if you're going to have them on screen for 15 minutes, just cast somebody new. Like, what's the point of getting Johnny Depp for this? Like, get a more expensive A-list female or another A-list male in the film, but have the Invisible Man be an unknown. Like, the girl in this film who's the mummy, I didn't know her from anything. Um, and she was fine. Like, uh, competent, scene-stealing at times. Like, um, you know... Not everyone has to be Tom Cruise in every movie, you know. You don't need to spend $30 million, whatever, getting a big lead. Maybe the Dark Universe will work if we can rein in the budget and it becomes more... You can get a gritty independent director who's on their second movie, you know, but don't give them a $200 million budget. When you say Dark Universe, it seems like the main thread that they're going to run with is the prodigium. That this mm. like shield esque team that are going to go into adventures, taking out you know monster after monster, and as Tom Cruise's character Nick was walking through the you know the archive, sort of speak of that of of um, Doctor Hyde's uh, uh, base, we see ideas of okay, that's obviously going to be um, Dracula, sort sort of like a sense yeah. of a vampire, I'm or a, a wolfman wolf, or something. I was going to say werewolves, <laughs> ly- lycanthropes, and stuff like that. The underworld series sort of molds into this and so that's the strategy where they wanted to head and 
I, I don't know if it's a case we've just been there too many times. Like maybe the series Supernatural has just exhausted those avenues of, of having this ultimate team out there fighting um, evil. And especially um, to bring it up again, Hellboy did that um, pretty interestingly with um, you know the FBI and how they've got a special division to handle all the supernatural elements. And of course, you've got the X-Files. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, very well trodden ground. And there was nothing particularly new and amazing here. Like, even the character Russell Crowe transforms into when he's Mr. Hyde is just a bit of a deeper voice and a bit of strength and a bit of makeup, like just a slightly different accent, you know. (laughs) It's Henry and uh, Eddie and whatever, you know, like he wasn't so different on screen. Um, Maybe a, yeah, I mean, it could have, they could have radically changed his appearance. There is a good story you can tell in there because these are the greatest horror characters you can ever like give it give this series to Guillermo del Toro and he would do wonders with it he would make an incredible world you know so there is nothing wrong with the the characters that Universal Studios have it's it's how they're employing them and the stories that they've chosen and as we've said over and over again in this podcast it's just a terrible idea and a terrible script that they've begun with so they got to reboot it well we'll see what happens and if um if they re-adventure into this dark universe, we'll try and cover it on Podme if you can. Just uh, your director wish list if they were, were going to reboot it. Like any any one of the films, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, who would you pick as your director? Neil uh, Blomkamp. Really? You'd go him? I just think he's failed in these last couple of movies with Chappie and um, Elysium. Yeah. Now, see, I think he's handled A-list actors before and big budgets before. And he wanted to do an alien movie. So you give him the kind of horror movie he wants to do, I think he would excel. I would go uh, John Favreau. I just think he's he, he did so well with Iron Man and really, really built the foundation that Marvel is is going ahead with today, just with the look of it, the the humor, the, the um, characters. I think he could do an incredible job. Um, with the Universal Studios, like just hearing his audio commentaries, he's a really big film fan, like a, a really big movie buff, you know. So I, I have a strong feeling that um, he would probably be the A list choice. Him and a good script. <laughs> Don't you can't you can't leave that out. <laughs> what about David Cronenberg? Ah, uh, that's a good point. It, it would be in a completely different direction. It'll be a very small budget. I don't think David Cronenberg's good at working with massive budgets. But. That's what I want to see. I want to see a more uh, reined in budget, not so... I mean, Tom Cruise is part of why this was so big budget. I, I anyway. completely agree with you, Dave, but obviously Universal wants a Marvel franchise or a Harry Potter franchise, and we're talking hundreds of millions being thrown into these massive titans. <laughs> we'll have to see what they do next. People can follow us, you know, let us know who you would put in uh, in a, the director's chair or who you would like to see in acting in these um, upcoming, if they do them, Universal Films. You can find us on Facebook and you can find our Twitter handles at uh, podmeifyoucan.com and you can always search for our back catalogue there at the website. We've covered a bunch of Tom Cruise movies. <laughs> One of the ones we've covered, I mean, we've covered uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Jerry um, Maguire. Jerry Maguire recently. Look, I, I, I think we just happen to watch all of Tom Cruise's movies and then even if we don't talk about them here, look, he's always an actor we're going to watch and I think he's lost no stardust having been in this movie and we'll just watch for the next thing, you know? It doesn't matter that this was a, a flop or a mediocre picture because he'll bounce back no problems. 
um, bring in another Mission Impossible or Jack Reacher and Top Gun and you know, we forget all about the mummy. <laughs> anyway, you can uh, tune in, iTunes, give us a rating, and uh, we'll talk to you next week on Pod Me if you can. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews. 